You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello and welcome to the latest Today's Conveyancer podcast. Today we're talking cybersecurity. It's something that all law firms have got to be thinking about. They've got to be protecting themselves against. And whilst we can be a little bit blasé about cybersecurity, Emma is going to remind us today that you you simply can't be, that this is too big an issue and it has the potential to affect your business in too big a way for you not to take it more seriously. So I'm delighted to introduce Emma Green. Emma is the managing partner at Cyber Data Law Solicitors. It's great to have you on the podcast, Emma. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, David. We're going to launch right in. First of all, it'd be really useful for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. We've just been chatting before we started the recording that you've been on Radio One. You've been on the BBC. Yeah. Uh, the Today's Conveyance of Podcasts feels like a little bit of a come down. No, not at all. No, I'm delighted to be here. Tell us about yourself. So, um, yes, uh, Emma Green, Cyber Data Law Solicitors. Um, I think our strap line is it's what we do. It's all we do. We specialise in cybersecurity and data protection. Uh, we focus, we sort of, there's two strands to it. So proactively, we help businesses to be compliant, we help build frameworks, policies, procedures and training, but we also help reactively when things go wrong. So when somebody's had a cyber attack or a data breach, we help uh, organise businesses and organisations and law firms to um, to recover from those types of situations. We can also perform litigation, so we can help clients that may be hit with claims. So any contentious work we can also do in, in the area of cyber and data protection. I said in the introduction that this is too big an issue for law firms to ignore. Mm -hmm. Is the cybersecurity message getting through? No, it's not. Um, Sadly, it just isn't. We have given many uh, webinars and uh, training sessions to law firms, and it's obvious that a number of them are not even doing the basics. Um, One of the problems is that law firms have very valuable data. When you consider all the clients' files, that that they uh, hold uh, that is very very valuable to uh, cyber criminals and they really need to step up their game because we've seen the likes of Ward Hadaway have recently had a big cyber attack they came out and said they'd had an attack and uh, lots of data had been stolen and uh, Tuckers they were um, attacked a couple of years ago and recently fined £98,000 by the uh, Information Commissioner's Office so it, it is um, a, a very pr- uh, interesting point for law firms that they they really don't seem to be realising how significant cyber attacks can be for them. Why is that, do you think? I think maybe because it's it's attitude. They think that it'll never happen to us, like a lot of businesses, not just law firms. Why would they want to attack us? Most people seem to think that cyber attacks are uh, disruption. So your systems are down, you know, you can't log on to a website, it's, it's disruption. But where the missing piece is, is it's the value of your data, because data is then exfiltrated and then used to hold you to ransom. So one of the modus operandi for cyber criminals these days is they gain access to your systems, they sit there uh, and usually over time, 
exfiltrate data or they may actually lock you out and take that data. What they'll then do is they'll then say, OK, we've got all this data. If you don't pay our ransom, um, we're going to it's called double extortion. What we'll do is we'll uh, we'll release the data. So we'll cause you a breach. So you first of all, they're holding your data to ransom. And secondly, if you don't pay it, they'll release it anyway. So it's it's th these types of attacks are, you know, happening all the time in 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 organizations and law firms and particularly with law firms the value of that data they know that is so much greater because the last thing a law firm wants is client files splattered all over the dark web we've been chatting that you've actually negotiated with some of these criminals tell us about that process that sounds absolutely fascinating <laughs> yeah well first of all they they'll, they'll leave you some sort of ransom note and then it's it's really just like any other commercial deal it's ironically based on trust you need to make sure you've got a cryptocurrency account and uh, negotiate with them and then they they give you data back um it's yeah it's just like any other commercial deal to be perfectly honest it's just that they happen to be criminals the the ico and the national Cybersecurity center have come out and they've said that law firms uh, should not be giving advice to pay ransoms um, there's two things for that. Firstly, obviously, you have to give the client the choice as if they want to pay that ransom or not. You may find your insurers may or may not pay it, um, depending on what your policy is like. Uh, but first of all, you've got to um, make sure that they're going to give you data back and um, negotiating with them. Well, it's down to it's the client's choice if they, they may want to keep it quiet. There's a big kind of uh, disjoint there. So the ICO and, like I said, the ICO and the National Cybersecurity Centre are saying, don't pay ransoms, don't pay ransoms. But you know, if you've got, if you're a company or a law firm that's employing people, then you know you need to get yourself back up and running. So it's it's there's a big difference between sort of uh, commercial world versus ideal world. Yes, you're paying criminals, and it will perpetuate what they're doing. But at the same time, you need to get your systems back. And what guarantees, and you said it was kind of built on trust, but what guarantees are there that this data isn't been, hasn't been replicated in some way, that it's not going to be used to hold you to ransom again, or, or are there no guarantees around that? I don't think there really are any guarantees. You, you just have to take it on face value, like a lot of things in, in any business that you do. Um, in our team, we have um, some forensics, uh, forensic guys who can go into uh, basically forums where it's invitation only. <laughs> so these dark web forums um, where criminals have to trust other criminals, which sounds a bit weird, um, to allow you in to see whether that, that data's there. And bizarrely, there is like a, an element of loyalty among, among these um, uh, these criminal uh, criminals, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of taking sort of 1950s gangs online, if you like. <laughs> you mentioned that you typically paying cryptocurrency is there a is this sort of an average kind of value that this is costing firms from a ransom point of view no it's how much they'll pay so it really depends how valuable is that data to you as to what you're prepared to pay are you going to take the risk of your clients finding out that their their files are on the dark web uh, the publicity reputational damage it depends how valuable it is to you you talked about uh, the, the way in which criminals infiltrate um, mm -hmm. the organisation and typically they sort of sit there. I'd heard they sit there for about 100 days. Is that? Yeah, once they're in, they can do. Um, they can sit there for, for a number of days and then, like I said, slowly start taking your data. Uh, but the number one way of getting in is phishing attacks. 
Now, most people think that phishing is, oh, oh I'll, I'd always spot a phishing email. Well, no, you probably wouldn't. We run phishing campaigns with uh, simulation software and I ran one last week and 40% of the company clicked on, on the phishing emails because they're very, very convincing. They've become way more sophisticated than a few years ago when it was you had a relative in a faraway land who's left you some inheritance. Um, it's become much, much more sophisticated. And what if, if somebody, if a criminal is absolutely determined to fish you, they'll do their homework. So if you're a particular, if you are, let's say, a senior um, member of staff, they will look into you on social media and then they'll, they'll really research you so that they can target those emails to make them sound really, really convincing. They'll also then target junior members of the team via LinkedIn. Um, so one of the common attacks has been, oh, can you just go and buy some vouchers for, you know, we're going to do an awards ceremony and we'll reimburse you. Um, and they're all fake. And these younger members of the staff think, oh, it's, it's the boss. I must go and do this. And they're not. They're just being fished. So the number one way of getting in, without doubt, is phishing. And, and social engineering, that's sort of an element of social engineering behind that. There can be. Yeah. So what I would say to anybody is, you know, when you go onto Facebook and it's got those, oh, what was your first car? And, you know, what, what's your, you know, fancy name for this or that? Or, you know, what's your first album that you bought? All that's happening is that they aren't quizzes. They are um, cyber criminals who are getting your, you know, your, your, your secret codes for passwords and things or finding enough about you to be able to convince you if they were to ring up or if they were to email you that they are a, from a legitimate source when they're not. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. It's really bad. You just got to be really careful what you put out there. So we've all got this sort of huge digital footprint now. Yeah. And and you've alluded to the younger generation. Presumably these criminals are sort of stalking you, not just on Facebook, but on things like Instagram and Snapchat yep. and all those kinds of things as well. It's called doxing, D-O-X-I-N-G. So in other words, what they do is they, they're, they're, they're gathering as much information about you so that, like I said, they are convincing when they ring up. And um, the police and the National Cybersecurity can't come out and say, look, don't do these stupid quizzes. They're not just for you and all your mates. Somebody's collecting information about you. And you tend to see a rise in them on social media over the holidays. So particularly bank holidays when people are a bit bo more bored. Oh, yeah, I remember that. What, what year did you do this? What year did you do that? Uh, and all they're doing is they're just collecting all your password, the, the types of information that you would use for your banking. You talked about the fact that you guys support firms once they've been attacked. Mm. What does that look like? Because I think there's there's a lot of information out there about prevention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, prevention is always the best protection, isn't it? But there seems to be a dearth of information about, you know, what firms can actually do practically to help themselves once they've been the victim of an attack. Yeah, I mean, I would always say, as you, as you alluded, that prevention is better than cure um really you know it's not a case of if we ever get attacked it's going to be when because like i said you have got such valuable data your data has a value criminals aren't just going after bank accounts anymore because they you know hacking into your, your um, client accounts that they, what they're interested in is that data that they can hold you to ransom to so you need to 
decide what is your most valuable data and put in business continuity plans, incident response plans and test those plans. What would you do if your case management system went offline? You couldn't log in and you got a ransom note on your screen. What, what would you do? So there's lots of lots of things you could do to prevent it that would put you in a better place should you be attacked. If you don't do anything and you get attacked, then you're going to have to ring up the likes of us <laughs> to help you and um, your insurers uh, and then hope that you're going to be covered. But it, it isn't something that you should be think, oh, it's fine. I hear a lot um, of companies say, oh, well, we've got insurance, so it's fine. Well, OK, the insurance will cover you probably for business interruption for a certain period of time, but they may not cover you for things like support with reporting to regulators. They may not help you at all if you get hit with a bunch of claims from data subjects. They won't, may not pay out if you've got a fine. So it's prevention is better than cure. But if you did get attacked, the first thing to do is consider whether, well, hopefully you will have some sort of insurance, give people like us a ring. And then what we would do is we would bring forensics in it will just try and stem the hemorrhaging to see, you know, what exactly has gone on. And then it's a case of see it from there. I mean, one, one cyber attack we were involved in was actually last August. It was an online retail, an online and physical retailer with hundreds of stores. And um, it, it, it was ongoing for about eight months, the, the forensics investigation. Obviously, we got them back up and running after about four or five days. But it's working closely with the IT department, working with insurers and also the board to damage limitate because the last thing that we want to do is is too hurriedly report to various regulators because again i've seen some really self-incriminating reporting where you just think no 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 i'd have just slowed down a bit and found out a bit more information first but yeah try and do prevention rather than cure and there are a number of accreditations out there. You think mm. about things like Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus. We've talked about IASME. You've got ISO. Mm -hmm. um, Twenty-seven thousand one. Yeah. Are they effective? Do they work? Are they uh, are they worth the paper they're written on? I, th I think I think they are. I mean, um, Cyber Essentials is a bit like Marmite. People either love it or they hate it. They think it's a, personally, having spoken to Hiscox, they're very. Uh, pro the likes of cyber essentials because if nothing else it makes a firm think about cyber security so think about your firewalls think about passwords those kinds of things so in that in that case it can only really be a positive thing some argue that it's a bit too generic but personally i think it's good i'm a cyber essentials assessor and i've um, assessed over 600 um assessments in the last two years and some of the because uh, what will happens when you mark in an assessment if somebody for example has windows xp i fail them because they say you know it's out of date you need it up to date patches so th that will then go back to the customer the client and then they will look at reviewing that so therefore that can only be be a good thing iso 20 any of the frameworks like iso 27001 nist the um uh, the National Cybersecurity Centre do one as well. Again, putting all those policies, procedures uh, in place and also rolling them out and implementing them. So operationalizing them, don't just shove them in a drawer, is all going to be good because it's going to bolster your defences. Anything that bolsters your defences is positive. Um, just not bothering and thinking, oh, well, it's fine. We've got insurance or, you know, it'll never happen to us. Well, that's not going to do you any favours in the long run. What experience have you got with dealing with insurers around cyber? Do they accept that cyber essentials is going to reduce risk and therefore reduce policy pricing or, you know, what, what's your sort of take on that? 
Yeah, we work, we do work quite closely with insurers and um, there is no standardisation uh, for a lot of insurers in terms of um, certifications because Cyber Essentials is a bit like Marmite and some insurers say, well, it's too generic. In the States, it's different. In the US, they, they sort of do like a full audit of your systems before you get insurance. Um, but it's just a case of filling in the application and your broke, any broker that you go through will support you by saying, right, OK, you need two factor. This insurer is not going to insure you at all unless you've got two factor or multi factor authentication on all of your your um, case management system so you're not you're not going to get insurance at all so there, there is a move because insurance has gone up exponentially over the last since the beginning of since covid um cyber insurance was tick box at the bottom of a form up until covid really and then it went crazy over covid because everybody sat at home and you know criminals can't break into windows they were kind of going online and phishing attacks covid phishing attacks went through the roof and what was happening is people lift, picked up their laptops and ran home and they were using software that hadn't gone through proper procurement process. They were using things like Google Docs that completely open and there were there were a massive increase in um, in attacks. Our clients, one of our clients insurance, their premium was 13,000 with a 25,000 excess. And then in 2021, one year later, it was 100,000 with a 500,000 pound excess. So that goes to show you how insurance has gone through the roof. So what a lot of companies are doing because it's becoming so expensive is they're effectively self-insuring because um, cyber insurance for a lot of businesses is really just a tick box for their suppliers or their partner, you know, the, the, the organizations they work with because it has become so, ex so, so expensive because it's so, it, it's so, kind of volatile it, it moves so rapidly insurers in the past don't move that quickly and so what they're a lot of pulled out of the market and a lot of them are also you know shoving up the uh, premiums because so many people have been attacked so those things I mentioned before about your patches and 2FA that will help you with your cyber insurance but don't just think well I've got insurance happy days because you know the, the, they're updating clauses all the time to say, well, you know, although they have said that the, the government have come out and said that um, if you were attacked by uh, Russians, that it wouldn't be deemed an act of war. So they can't use those clauses um, and paying um, ransom uh, ransoms is not a criminal criminal. Then it's not going to criminalize it. Uh, so insurers can't w wiggle out of it that way. But don't just think I've got insurance. I'm fine, because I think you might find, well, you won't get insurance the next year. Um, and it might not cover you for everything. I think it's fair to say that you've scared us <laughs> a little bit more on this podcast, Emma. And and the message to firms is this this has to be taken seriously. You you can't sit back, like you say, you can't sit back and, and wait for it to happen. And it will happen mm. uh, because this is happening all the time. Today's conveyancer is the victim of hundreds of spam and phishing messages daily. And I think we must never forget that criminals are very, very intelligent people. Actually, these are very, very sophisticated and intelligent organisations. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they've only got to get, get it right once. You've got to get it right all the time. So some of the things that I would stress that firms consider is um, making sure you've got a business continuity plan. What would happen in the event of a cyber attack that takes you down? Would you be able to remember when those court dates are and get access to files? You need to be able to 
continue to run your business if if things uh, you know get locked out. So the number one thing I would say is the training of your staff, phishing campaigns, um, simulating the types of uh, um, phishing emails that come in. Uh, Two-factor authentication, often called multi-factor authentication, that's where you've got uh, most systems these days support that. That's where you uh, log in with your name and password, and then uh, there's a secondary pin, usually through a, a separate application, on, let's say on your phone or a text message. So it, it backs. Also, if somebody was trying to hack in with your details, you'd usually get a notification. Keep your software patches up to date. I know it's really annoying when you, your iPhone says, oh, gosh, you need an update and you think, oh, God, it's going to take my phone out for an hour. There is a reason for that. And that's because the likes of Apple have found a, um, a flaw in the software that that's been exploited by cyber criminals. Make sure you've got antivirus firewalls uh, are kept up to date. Um, but I would say that the, the biggest the biggest weakness in your organization is the people in it. So it's going to be your your employees. They're the ones that are going to accidentally just click on a link without realizing it and just open the door for somebody to come in and just sit there. Uh, so you need to make sure you've got all of those things, test those plans. Would you would your business continue? Insurers say that the biggest expense to them is business interruption. So the biggest expense is, is you know, paying, making sure that business can continue to operate whilst it's down, if that, if that makes sense. So it's um, an Aon. I was um, look, watching a, a webinar by Aon, the insurers. And they were saying that professional services, 25% of the claims that come into them are from professional services, such as the legal sector, the accounting sector, because that data is just so incredibly valuable. Don't just think cyber attack, disruption, think actually they're taking my data. My data is a commodity that can be traded. And I think that's the bit that's that's missing. So if you put all those things in place, uh, build some frameworks, think of things like Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus, you're going to put yourself in a much better position than um, by not really doing anything. And we were talking before the recording about some of the ways that criminals doctor documents and information that's circulated between law firms. What's called business email compromise, that's where somebody gets into your emails and doctors an invoice is something that originated in conveyancing and it's still going on on a grand scale. Um, we've had clients whose uh, suppliers have paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds and gone bankrupt because their um, invoices have been doctored. So an another top tip I would say to you um, is that if anybody uh, and again, it sounds common sense, but if anybody gives you payment details, new payment details, um, make sure you contact the original person by phone, not via email and uh, test tested bank details by transferring one pound. Because, uh, you know, so many firms, solicitors I know have transferred a lot of money and it's gone. And the likelihood of getting it back, if you've authorised the payment, uh, the push payment, if you've authorised it. With one client, they're a, law, um, a divorce law firm and they, uh, clients said, can I transfer the money? She did. An hour later, the real client rang up and said, where's my money? And she transferred 50 grand. The bank had rung up and said, are you sure you want to send it here? She said, yeah, transferred it. And then, you know, and she'd actually, between you and me, she also sent a court order, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so to, to a wrong email address and it's gone. You've had it then. Yeah, yeah. It's really wow. tricky to get it back. I, I actually said to the police, just, is there a threshold for an amount that you, that has to have been stolen before you do anything about it? Thinking it's back, 
and a 10, 20 grand. And they just said, there is no limit. It's about solvability. Yeah. So if we can recover that, that, that money, then we will. If we've got a relationship with the country where the, where the money's gone, we will. But if we haven't, then we won't. So it's, it's not about the amount. It's about whether the police can actually help you. And also, the, also when it when it goes um, outside of the jur- jurisdiction, you know, is it in the public interest to the, spend all that that, that uh, public money recovering um, funds for for you? So yeah. that's something to think of. Don't, don't think, oh, we, you know, we've got the police, we've got insurance, we've got um, action fraud. No, it's uh, it's still a bit of the wild west, I'm afraid. Some top tips for firms there, Emma. Thanks very much indeed for sharing. And I think like you say, you know, a lot of it's common sense. A lot of it is really around just making sure that people understand the risks and ed- education. Education is a huge part of this, isn't it? Thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been a delight to have you on, albeit you've scared the life out of us. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. The Today's Conveyancer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on todaysconveyancer.co.uk. Thank you again, Emma. Thank you very much indeed for listening, and we'll see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.